Fifth Dimension Catapult by Murray Leinster. Chapter Five, Part B. The crude oil engine was running at a thunderous rate. Tommy fastened his note in the little missile he had made ready. He placed it under the solenoid of the catapult after Denham's design, with the springs and rings of metallic ammonium. He turned to Smithers. "I'll watch for him," said Tommy unsteadily. "You know, watch for the right moment to fling it through." Slow up the generator a little. It'll rack itself to pieces." He put his eye to the eyepiece. He winced as he saw again what the bullets of his aiming had done. But he saw Denham almost at once, and Denham was scratched and bruised and looked very far indeed from the ideal of a professor of theoretic physics, with hardly more than a few shreds of clothing left upon him, and a ten days' beard upon his face. He limped as he walked. But he had stopped in the task of gathering up weapons to show Evelyn excitedly what it was that he had found—a spent and battered bullet, but indubitably a bullet from the world of his own ken. He began to stare about him, hopeful yet incredulous. Tommy took his eye from the dimensoscope just long enough to light the fuse of the smoke-bomb. "'Here it goes, Smithers!' He flung the switch. The missile with its thickly smoking fuse leaped upward as the concentric rings flickered and whirled bewilderingly. The missile hurt the eyes that watched it. It vanished. The solenoid dropped to the floor from the broken small contrivance. Then Tommy's heart stood still as he gazed through the eyepiece again. He could see nothing but an opaque milkiness, but it drifted away, and he realized that it was smoke. More, Denham was staring at it. More yet, he was moving cautiously towards its source, one of the strange golden weapons held ready. Denham was investigating. The generator at the back of the laboratory slowed down. Smithers was obeying orders. Tommy hung close by the vision instrument, his hands moving vaguely and helplessly, as one makes gestures without volition when anxious for someone else to duplicate the movements for which he sets the example. He saw Denham, very near, inspecting the smoking thing on the ground suspiciously. The smoke fuse ceased to burn. Denham stared. After an age-long delay he picked up the missile Tommy had prepared, and Tommy saw that there was a cord attached to it. He had fastened that cord when planning to try to communicate with the men of the Golden City, when he had expected them to be victorious. But he saw Denham's face light up with pathetic hope. He called to Evelyn. He hobbled excitedly to her babbling. Tommy watched, and his heart pounded suddenly, as Evelyn turned and smiled in the direction in which she knew the dimensoscope must be. A huge butterfly, its wings a full yard across, fluttered past her head. Denham talked excitedly to her. A clumsy bat-like thing swooped by overhead. Its shadow blanketed her face for an instant. A running animal, small and long, ran swiftly in full view from one side of the dimensoscope's field of vision to the other. 
Then a snake, curiously horned, went writhing past. Denham talked excitedly. He turned and made gestures as of writing toward the spot where he had picked up Tommy's message. He began to search for a charred stick, where the ragged men had built a fire some days now past. A fleeting furry thing sped across his feet, running. Denham looked up, and Evelyn was staring now. She was staring in the direction of the Golden City. And now what was almost a wave of animals, all wild and all fleeing, swept across the field of vision of the dimensoscope. There were gazelles, it seemed, slender-limbed, graceful animals at any rate, and there were tiny hoofed things which might have been Eohippi, and then a monstrous armadillo clanked and rattled past. Tommy swung the dimensoscope. He gasped. All the animal world was in flight. The insects had taken to wing. Flying creatures were soaring upward and streaking through the clear blue sky, and all in the one direction, and then out of the morass came monstrous shapes, misshapen, unbelievable reptilian shapes, which fled bellowing thunderously for the tree-fern forest. They were gigantic, those things from the morass. They were hideous. They were things out of nightmares made into flabby flesh. There were lizards, and what might have been gigantic frogs, save that frogs possess no tails and there were long and snaky necks terminating in infinitesimal heads, and vast palpitating bodies, following those impossible small brain-cases, and long tapering tails that thrashed mightily as the ghastly things fled bellowing. And the cause of the mad panic was a slowly moving white curtain of mist. It was flowing over the marsh, moving with apparent deliberation, but as Tommy saw actually very swiftly. It shimmered and quivered and moved onward steadily. Its upper surface gleamed with elusive prismatic colors. It had blotted out the horizon and the golden city, and it came onward. Denham made frantic, despairing gestures toward the dimensoscope. The thing was coming too fast. There was no time to write. Denham held high the cord that trailed from the message-bearing missile. He gesticulated frantically, and raced to the gutted steel globe, and heaved mightily upon it and swung it about so that Tommy saw a great steel ring set in its side, which had been hidden before. He made more gestures, urgently, and motioned Evelyn inside. Tommy struck at his forehead. "'It's poison gas,' he muttered. "'Revenge for the smashed-up vehicle. They knew it by an automatic radio signal, maybe. This is their way of wiping out the ragged men. Poison gas. It'll kill Denham and Evelyn. He wants me to do something.' He drew back, staring, straining every nerve to think, and somehow his eyes were drawn to the back of the laboratory, and he saw Smithers teetering on his feet, with his hands clasped queerly to his body, and a strange man standing in the door of the laboratory with an automatic pistol in his hand. The automatic had a silencer on it, and its clicking had been drowned out, anyhow, by the roaring of the crude oil engine. The man was small and dark and natty. His lips were drawn back in a peculiar mirthless grin, as Smithers teetered stupidly back and forth and then fell. The explosion of Tommy's own revolver astounded him as much as it did Jacaro's gunman. He did not ever remember drawing it or aiming. The natty little gunman was blotted out by a spouting mass of white smoke, and suddenly Tommy knew what it was that Denham wanted him to do. There was rope in a loose and untidy coil beneath a workbench. Tommy sprang to it in a queer, nightmarish activity. He knew what was happening, of course. Von Holtz had seen the magnetic catapult at work, that couldn't be destroyed or its workings hidden like the ring catapult of Denham's design. 
He'd gone out to call in Jacaro's men, and they'd shot down Smithers as a cold-blooded preliminary to the seizure of the instrument Jacaro wanted. It was necessary to defend the laboratory, but Tommy could not spare the time. That white mist was moving upon Evelyn and her father, in that other world. It was death, as the terror of the wild things demonstrated. They had to be helped. He knotted the rope to the end of the cord that vanished curiously somewhere among the useless mass of rings. He tugged at the cord, and it was tugged in return. Denham, in another world, had felt his signal and had replied to it. A window smashed suddenly, and a bullet missed Tommy's neck by inches. He fired at the window, and absorbedly guided the knot of the rope past its vanishing point. The knot ceased to exist, and the rope crept onward, and suddenly moved more and more swiftly to a place where abruptly it was not. For the length of half an inch the rope hurt the eyes that looked at it. Beyond that it was not possible to see it at all. Tommy leaped up. He plunged ahead of two separate spurts of shots from two separate windows. The shots pierced the place where he had been. He was racing for the crude oil engine. There was a chain wound upon a drum there, and a clutch attached the drum to the engine. He stopped and seized the repeating shotgun Smithers had brought as his own weapon against Jacaro's gangsters. He sent four loads of buckshot at the windows of the laboratory, a man yelled, and Tommy had dropped the gun to knot the rope to the chain, desperately, fiercely, in a terrible haste. The chain began to play out to that peculiar vanishing point, which was here an entryway to another world, perhaps another universe. A bullet nicked his ribs. He picked up the gun and fired it nearly at random. He saw Smithers moving feebly, and Tommy had a vast compassion for Smithers, but he shuddered suddenly. Something had struck him a heavy blow in the shoulder, and something else battered at his leg. There was no sound that could be heard above the thunder of the crude oil motor, but Tommy was queerly aware of buzzing things flying about him, and of something very warm flowing down his body and down his leg, and he felt very dizzy and weak and extremely tired. He could not see clearly, either. But he had to wait until Denham had the chain fast to the globe. That was the way he had intended to come back, of course. The ring was in the globe, and this chain was in the laboratory to haul the globe back from wherever it had been sent and von Holtz had disconnected it before sending away the globe with Denham in it. If the chain remained unbroken, of course, it could be hauled in, as it would turn all necessary angles and force the globe to follow those angles, whatever they might be. Tommy was on his hands and knees, and men were saying savagely, "'Where's that thing, eh? Where's the thing Jacaro wants?' He wanted to tell them that they should say, if the chain had stopped moving to a place where it ceased to exist, so that he could throw a clutch and bring Denham and his daughter back from the place where von Holtz had marooned them when he wanted to steal Denham's secret. Tommy wanted to explain that, but the floor struck him in the face, and something said to him, "'They've shot you.' But it did not seem to matter, somehow, and he lay there very still until he felt himself strangling, and he was breathing in strong ammonia which made his eyes smart and his tired lungs gasp. Then he saw flames, and heard a motor-car roaring away from close by the laboratory. They've stolen the catapult and set fire to the place, he remembered dizzily, and now they're skipping out. Even that did not seem to matter. But then he heard the chain clank next to him on the floor. The white mist. Denham and Evelyn waiting for the white mist to reach them, and Denham jerking desperately on the chain to signal that he was ready. 
The flames had released ammonia from the metal von Holtz had made. That had roused Tommy. But it did not give him strength. It is impossible to say where Tommy's strength came from, when somehow he crawled to the clutch lever, with the engine roaring steadily above him, and got one hand on the lever, and edged himself up and up and up, until he could swing his whole weight on that lever. That instant of dangling hurt excruciatingly, too, and Tommy saw only that the drum began to revolve swiftly, winding the chain upon it, before his grip gave way. And the chain came winding in and in from nowhere, and the tall laboratory filled with more and more thickly with smoke, and lurid flames appeared somewhere, and a rushing sound began to be audible as the fire roared upward to the inflammable roof, and the engine ran thunderously. Then suddenly there was a shape in the middle of the laboratory floor, a huge globular shape, which it hurt the eyes to look upon. It became visible out of nowhere as if evoked by magic amid the flames of hell. But it came, and was solid and substantial, and it slid along the floor upon small wheels until it wound up with a crash against the winding drum, and the chain shrieked as it tightened unbearably, and the engine choked and died. Then a door opened in the monstrous globe. Two figures leaped out, aghast, two ragged, tattered, strangely armed figures, who cried out to each other and started for the door. But the girl stumbled over Tommy and called, choking to her father. Groping toward her, he found Smithers, and then Tommy smiled drowsily to himself as soft arms tugged bravely at him, and a slender, glorious figure staggered with him to fresh air. "'It's von Holtz!' snapped Denham and coughed as he fought his way to the open. I'll blast him to hell with these things we brought back. That was the last thing Tommy knew, until he woke up in bed with a feeling of many bandages and an impression that his lungs hurt. Denham seemed to have heard him move. He looked in the door. Hello, Reams. You're all right now. Tommy regarded him curiously until he realized. Denham was shaved and fully clothed. That was the strangeness about him. Tommy had been watching him for many days as his clothing swiftly deteriorated, and his beard grew. "'You are, too, I see,' he said weakly. "'I'm damned glad.' Then he felt foolish and querulous, and as if he should make some apology, and instead said, "'But five dimensions does seem extreme. Three is enough for ordinary use, and four is luxurious. Five seems to be going a bit too far.' Denham blinked, and then grinned suddenly. Tommy had admired the man who could face so extraordinary a situation with such dogged courage, and now he found suddenly that he liked Denham. "'Not too far,' said Denham grimly. "'Look!' He held up one of the weapons Tommy had seen in that other world, one of the golden-colored truncheons. "'I brought this back. The same metal they built that wagon of theirs with, all their weapons, most of their tools, as I know. "'It's gold, man.' They use gold in that world as we use steel here. That's why Jacaro was ready to kill to get the secret of getting there. Von Holtz enlisted him. How did you know? began Tomley weakly. Smithers, said Denham. We dragged both of you out before the lab went up in smoke. He's going to be all right, too. Evelyn's nursing both of you. She wants to talk to you, but I want to say this first. You did a damned fine thing, Reams. The only man who could have saved us, and you just about killed yourself doing it. Smithers saw you swing that clutch lever, with three bullets in your body. And you're a scientist, too. You're my partner, Reams, in what we do in the fifth dimension." Tommy blinked. But five dimensions does seem extreme. 
"'We are the Interdimensional Trading Company,' said Denham, smiling. "'Somehow I think we'll find something in this world we can trade for the gold in that. And we've got to get there, Reems, because Jacaro will surely try to make use of that catapult principle you worked out. He'll raise the devil, and I think the people of that golden city would be worth knowing. No, we're partners. Sooner or later you'll know how I feel about what you've done. I'm going to bring Evelyn in here now." He vanished. An instant later Tommy heard a voice, a girl's voice. His heart began to pound. Denham came back into the room, and with him was Evelyn. She smiled warmly upon Tommy though, as his eyes fell blankly upon the smart sport-clothes she was again wearing, she flushed. "'My daughter Evelyn,' said Denham, "'she wants to thank you.' And Tommy felt a warm, soft hand pressing his, and he looked deep into the eyes of the girl he had never before spoken to, but for whom he had risked his life, and whom he knew he would love forever. There were a thousand things crowding to his lips for utterance. He had watched Evelyn, and he loved her. "'How do you do?' said Tommy, lamely. "'I'm awfully glad to meet you.' But before he was well he learned to talk more sensibly. End of Chapter 5 Part B And End of the Fifth Dimension Catapult by Murray Leinster